jazz, psych, funk, dub, international, metal, and the artists that make Arlington and D.C. famous. 100 Years of Underground Sound, Vinyl Assault Vehicle, Wednesdays from 8 to 10 p.m. on WERALP, 96.7 FM, WERA.FM. Take Radio Arlington with you wherever you go. You can listen to us on your smartphone using the TuneIn app. Simply search for WERA-LP or stream us from your favorite web browser at WERA.FM. Keep your radio tuned to this place on the dial. Use a portable radio set if you have one. Turn up the volume of your radio so that you can hear it in the basement. You're listening to WERA-LP, Arlington. Community radio from Arlington Independent Media. On the air at 96.7. Streaming live at WERA.FM. We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. To the battles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Here's some genre-related news before we get to today's discussion. The SpaceX Inspiration4 returned safely to Earth last Saturday after their three-day orbital mission. The flight was historically significant as it was the first mission to space that did not include a professional astronaut. The crew consisted of billionaire Jared Isaacman, physician assistant Haley Arsenault, data engineer Chris Simbroski, and geoscientist and science communication specialist Cian Proctor. Isaacman chartered Inspiration4 with the goal of raising awareness and funds for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to begin, I quote, a new era for human spaceflight and exploration, unquote. Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings continued as the number one film at the domestic box office last weekend, earning another $21 million in what was its third weekend in re- theatrical release. With Friday's receipts totaled, Shang-Chi became the highest grossing movie of the year and the pandemic moving past Black Widow. Breaking this record is a significant landmark for the movie theater business as Shang-Chi was released solely in theaters with 45 days of exclusivity, as opposed to Black Widow and many other releases which have opted for a hybrid model that includes streaming. The movie is poised to remain in the top slot this weekend with new release Dear Evan Hansen projected to come in second. It was announced this week that producer Russell T. Davies will be returning as showrunner for the BBC's Doctor Who. Davies, who was a key part of the team that revived the long-running show back in 2005, made his departure in 2009. 
Davies will be on board by 2023 in time for the 60th anniversary of the character. Marvel filed five lawsuits on Friday in an effort to block the heirs of comic book creators from claiming copyrights to a number of its characters, including Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel. This after the heirs of five Marvel Comics creators filed termination notices with the U.S. Copyright Office. The notices were filed by veteran copyright attorney Mark Toberoff, who has previously represented the heirs of Jack Kirby, Jerry Siegel, and Joe Schuster in similar legal actions. Toberoff argues that the creator's work has led to multi-billion dollar franchises and that the creator's heirs should be allowed to share in that wealth. Marvel argues that the disputed characters were created under work-for-hire agreements and that the heirs have no valid legal claim to the copyrights. Marvel filed the suits in New York and L.A. against Larry Lieber, Patrick S. Ditko, Michelle Hart Rico, and Buzz Donato Rico III, Keith A. Detweiler, and Nancy Solo, and Eric Colon. Patrick Ditko is the brother of Steve Ditko. Solo and Colon are the children of Gene Colon. Detweiler is the nephew of Don Heck. Hart Rico and Rico III are the heirs of Don Rico. September is a time for anniversaries as it has historically been the launch of the television network's fall seasons. This week marked 42 years since the September 17th debut of Star Blazers, the U.S. adaptation of the Japanese anime Space Battleship Yamoto in 1979. September 20th was 31 years since the 1990 premiere of The Flash on CBS TV. And it's an anniversary we're talking about today. Earlier this month was 55 years since the NBC TV premiere of Gene Roddenberry's original Star Trek series. That show has had an unprecedented social and cultural impact, which we'll explore today. So joining me are Roberto Ortiz, Drew Bittner, and via the miracle of technology, Mike Lunsford. Uh, welcome to the show, hey, everybody. everybody. Hey, Charlie. Nice to be here. Yeah, well, it's great to have you guys. So, and I, I just want to kind of throw a little, not really a disclaimer, but uh, going to throw a, a, a well, I, I guess it's sort of a little disclaimer, <laughs> because uh, what I, after I heard this news about the lawsuit uh, involving the copyright claims, I really wanted to talk about that, but of course, uh, Star Trek debuted on September 8th, 1966, and that was way earlier this month, haven't really talked about that. And I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And so the copyright thing actually isn't going anywhere. But um, I did notice that there was a great deal of gesturing here in the booth during that first story about the SpaceX <laughs> Inspiration 4. So I, I thought that I would uh, give 
uh, my panelists the opportunity <laughs> to expound on uh, what they found so terribly amusing about that. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, Drew, I saw you uh, making that uh, <laughs> jerking symbol. You know, <laughs> but particularly uh, when I commented on Mr. Isaacsman's quote, where he chartered the ship with the goal oh, of God. initiating a new era oh, for human spaceflight and exploration. Yeah, and I noticed. Roberto, you were hanging your head. Yeah, because so. my eyes hurt, because the, the eyes, my eyes are rolling into my head and I can see the back of my skull. So I... <laughs> I, think, I think it's fair to call, you know, tourism for billionaires a new era for space flight. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one way <laughs> yeah. of calling it, yeah. I think if, if, you know, you want to spend a couple million dollars and put yourself in orbit around the Earth and stuff, then yeah, sure, you know, call it what you like, but... Hey. True, you that's know. not fair. Anybody with a billion dollars can get into space. Yeah. Anybody can do it. But okay? that's, that, How dare you? That, that's <laughs> you the go. thing that, that gets to me every time that when I hear the SpaceX people. And by the way, I'm all into space uh, space exploration, space travel, all that. I hardcore go, go, go space travel. Having said that, every time I hear SpaceX say, oh, yes, now this opens the area for space travel for you and me. You only have to put in about $100,000 and you'll be able to do it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, uh, well, we I mean, but, but for, <laughs> hey, I mean, for the money, they will let you on a ship. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, really. I mean, now I'll Yay. grant you, it is, it is, uh, uh, well, and I, I don't even know if I can legitimately say that it is an excessive sum because let's face it, this is a very expensive endeavor. Yes, it's not it is. like calling an Uber. You oh, know? it's it's not I mean, that it's not that the money's excessive. It's not that it's you know ridiculous. It's that you know they're touting it as a new era for yeah. mankind, and it's nothing of the sort. No. It's it's you know it's basically a, a new place for the rich to to play and and have fun and the rest of us to say wow those billionaires sure did get to go into space <laughs> but having said that that's going to benefit there's going to be auxiliary things that are going to come out of it that are going to be beneficial having said that it's like you having somebody on a cruise ship calling himself a sailor because they went on a cruise ship you're just you. a passenger yeah, you're along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, didn't have it, a pilot. <laughs> it really kind of spits in the face of all those astronauts Thank in the you. '60s that like that sacrificed their lives, that like busted their butts, that like trained endlessly and were in tip-top physical condition and risked their lives so that these rich. I had to censor myself. I must said a word. <laughs> um, well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> the FCC like, thanks you. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Basically, so these rich children, basically, because that's what they are. They <clears throat> none of these guys built themselves up from nothing. They well, all came from money. They all have money that they were able to build upon after they had like a nice little nest egg that they got from somebody, and they get to like flaunt that in everybody's faces by saying, "Look at this new era for humanity." No, this new era for rich white people. Yeah, that's what this is. And this that's, is this it, is it's, a new it's, safari. It's insulting. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 the new safari trip, you know. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Well, they did raise a bunch of money for uh, oh, St. Jude. Uh, they did. They no, raised them. I, I mean, and he started it by giving and it's Isaacman himself. I mean, by giving like 100 million dollars, but I don't know what the total was that they raised. Well, because I mean, they're aware they, of the optics of the whole thing, and specifically in terms of yeah. 
the reason they did it is not because he's a wonderful human being and he believes in St. Jude's. It's because somebody in PR in his company said, you realize that the optics of this are horrible, right? And he could have easily given $100 million well, without going to space. That's yeah. true. But, you know, I mean, this guy, uh, Jared Isaacsman, uh, Isaacman, sorry, is something of a daredevil. And, oh, you know, he's, he's constantly doing stuff like that. But apparently every single one of these endeavors that he does, however self-indulgent, self-indulgent it may be, uh, always has some sort of charitable component. Good for him. Still, yeah. still I mean, the optics you know, are awful. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. He, he, perhaps because the optics are awful and he's looking for some sort of justification. But I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Now, the other thing, you know, Mike, I, I don't know anything about this guy's background outside of what I just told you. And yeah. uh, I mean, but I know he has some sort of um, some sort of business uh, that. Um, that 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 he that made him a billionaire. Now I don't know what his whether he was from totally humble beginnings and this business he has, uh, you know, was something that was built up or you know was built upon, you know, his blue blooded past or whatever. So I'm not you know prepared to say that, you know, he he you know is just some rich guy you know who's you know from money born with silver spoon in his mouth who's playing but uh, you know i'll give credit where credit is due i mean you know but uh, to borrow a phrase from roberto all that having been said i mean i, I but and I, I do note now apparently he gave all the seats to saint jude's and um this uh physician assistant this haley haley arsenault uh was the mission um medical uh, person and uh, but came directly. I mean, works as a physician assistant at St. Jude, and then like the other two seats, I think one of them they raffled off, and or maybe both of them they raffled off, or something like that. I don't. I don't but, think anybody has any any conflict with you know the charitable aspect of this. Or, oh, of course not. Or whatever. <clears throat> I think that we're just kind of looking at this through the lens of. The you know the the, the <laughs> wait wait I'm sorry the what the eagles oh I'm sorry I thought you said the evil I was well, like the wait, evil wait. too well, I mean, the, 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 well, I mean the, the whole the whole framing of this thing is that oh it's a it's an adventure for mankind Aww. it's like it's not an adventure for mankind it's an adventure I mean, for you is, <laughs> yeah this is this is just you know another another way for bil- for billionaires to spend their money and and great so let mm. them let them spend it but let's not pretend it's anything more than that mm. is this I mean I I noted that this whole thing didn't get a lot of traction in the established news media yeah i don't think they can <laughs> yeah well you know i mean uh, well if they had if they were straight to head to the sun right now they would be <laughs> yeah perhaps well but <laughs> i i, I came back with the fantastic four <laughs> i think the whole the whole business of uh, there being no professional astronauts was the part that i found fascinating and in a, also the fact that this you know because of that i mean this was this was a charter this was straight up a charter i mean he paid a lot more than you'd do if you went down to ocean city and hired a boat to take you out fishing but you know that's basically what this was i'm yeah. going to give you a bit of trivia most people don't know do you know that basically during the the beginning of space era during the 60s the astronauts themselves could have done exactly that up and down completely automated flights we have been able to do that. Oh yeah, series. well, but I saw in the I saw in the right stuff. They we were know. like astronaut pilot as what? opposed to astronaut occupant. I mean, they Passenger. wanted <laughs> yeah yeah they they wanted well that was a big thing. And do you remember that scene yeah. Yeah. in the right stuff? And, and yeah. you know you why know? they we're, ended up basically having to put controls on those things because they found out later that she, 
cannot use words. <laughs> Stuff happens that you cannot anticipate. And all well, of a sudden, bad, you, bad things well, do yeah, happen. You, and and it, it can't always be compensated for. But yeah, you yeah, do need yeah. some. Just wait. If something happens, this is the thing where people my well, when, age. When something happens. When I mean, you know, it's just like Apollo 1. You know, I mean, it was, hey, you know, and for those of you who don't know, fire on the launch pad, all three astronauts lost. But. Um, and one of them, one of the original Mercury astronauts, yep. Gus Grissom. Yeah. You know? So, and after that, they started putting the escape rocket on top of these things. It was like, oh, you mean we need to create a way for these guys to get out just in case? Mm-hmm. But, so, yes. What, one of the things that really bothers me about this in general is I want to oh, go Mike, back to... Mike, just yeah. one second. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA, 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia and streaming online via WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Roberto Ortiz, Drew Bittner, and Mike Lunsford, who was getting ready to make a point when I interrupted him, Mike. So what I wanted to point out was, first off, I did a little research on Mr. Jared Isaacman. Um, he, he has worked hard, so I do want to give him credit for that. He started his own business when he was 16, working on computers and things like that. So he started... He, he has worked hard. However, his father is the CEO of a large corporation. Oh. So, so he started it, on second base, at least. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he got a pretty nice head start. Um, a cautionary tale. We all, all of us are very into space travel for the most part, probably very well versed in the history of it. Yep. And I want to point to the Challenger. The reason why I want to point Thank to the you. Challenger is why did the Challenger explode? And the answer is greed and laziness. Because ultimately, they knew that it couldn't do what it needed to do. They knew that it wasn't supposed to do that. And they knew that they probably should have grounded the flight, but there was too much money involved. You really think an organization that's run by billionaires is going to follow the rules? Thank you. Do you really think that rich people are going to say, oh, no, we're only interested in the safety of people? If you do, there's a bridge in Brooklyn I want to sell you. And also – Because that is – such a lie and like it's just going to get worse because they don't have to follow any rules whatsoever and don't forget specifically what happened with Apollo 13 that people forget specifically that by when that happened people got used to the concept was it 11 no 13 yes 13 they got so used to basically the, the routine of going to the moon that it was no big deal and space, what was it that uh, McCoy said in the Star Trek movie about space being a h- harsh and deadly um, in the Star Trek movie? Uh, are you talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture? Yes. Or are you talking no. about... The J.J. The, the Abrams movie. Oh, that. that wasn't Star Trek. Oh, come on. <laughs> that wasn't Star Trek. Oh, come on. But the, oh, point, that the point made in... Uh, I'm basically summarizing what he said. It's basically, it's that space is harsh, it's deadly, and it will kill you. And we... Yeah. And yeah. Apollo 13 demonstrated <clears throat> that very well, that we thought that going to the moon was a routine thing, no big deal. And all of a sudden, kablooing, and all of a sudden you found out how important having professional astronauts became. And well, and one of the lessons that we lo- forgot from Apollo 13, or that we mistook from it, was that NASA can fix any problem. Well, NASA that, when, will not be things, involved with this thing. That when, this that, when things, that when things go wrong, human engineers and the people who know these things will step forward and they will be able to fix any problem that goes wrong. And we saw that with Challenger and Endeavor. And, I mean, these 
lo- these cr- tragic losses of life were things that, that could have been fixed, but they didn't. And in so. Apollo 13, don't forget that Jim Lovell himself had to pilot, for the love of God, the crippled module to point it back toward manually. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. Incre- mm-hmm. People don't understand how insanely difficult that thing he did was. Oh, well, beyond that, you know, the fact that they used the lunar module as a lifeboat yes. and, uh, you know, had to power down the command module and then power it up again. And yeah. they were by no means certain that they were going to be able to repower the command module. Yeah. And that was the only way that they were going to be able to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. But um, the other thing that I just want to point out, and particularly in terms of... Uh, Apollo 13 because uh, the resources that were available to the astronauts because there was what the astronauts themselves were able to do and then there was what was done by the engineers on the ground and communicated to the Apollo 13 astronauts I mean for example uh, you know the uh, the co2 scrubber that they told them how to make out Mm -hmm. of stuff that they had on board the ship you know but they didn't have to come up with that themselves so even if you have some sort of problem that develops uh, with a amateur spaceflight you're going to have certain resources on earth that are available to you i mean if they get in trouble i guarantee you they've got a direct line to nasa you know saying hey uh, we've had this problem can you help us out i mean because even nasa recognizes that what SpaceX is doing is the future of space exploration, at least a portion of it. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's true. The only problem is you can have all the engineers on the ground that you want. If there's nobody up there that can implement this fix, thank you. Then you're then you have a problem. And the problem is basically well, all you got to do is talk down to them no, or no. talk up down to them. No, if no. you know what I mean. We disagree in this. One of the things that and this is why it drives me bananas that the private company are doing what they do always, which is basically they take a profession and they they use something George Orwell would say basically about how language is important and why we have to protect language and why people like me get upset when these billionaires call themselves astronauts. And there's a reason for that. Well, did he actually call himself an astronaut? Yes, they do. Oh, yeah. Friggin' Bezos gave himself, like, an, not an award, but, like, some sort of patch where he was like, hey, you're now in an elite club where you've left the Earth. You're an astronaut. And it's just like, dude, no, no. you're not. No. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Do you know what is an astronaut? An astronaut is somebody whose heat, heat shield, this happened to John Glenn, broke down. And he had to l- basically align the damn capsule correctly to be able to go back to Earth. If not, he would inc- have incinerated yeah, that's to death. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that people don't get, that these people, the training, even the current generation restaurants, they have, it, they make them exceptional human beings in terms of they can be put in a situation that is life and death. That happens to this day. There's horror stories I can tell you of astronauts, their space is getting filled with liquid from their own uh, coolant. And being able calmly to get back into the space, uh, the, 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 the cotilla, uh, sorry, the, the hatch, and being able calmly to do the procedure while drowning. Do you mm. really tell me that a billionaire will be able to do the same type of high pressure, uh, <coughs> fix it, uh, being able to troubleshoot a situation that is life and death? With the same level of efficiency as an astronaut? I, I, I personally think that the rise of amateur space travel is going to see 
a rather catastrophic increase in the number of people that die in these yes. things, in the number of ships that don't come back safely, and corners being cut, and investigations showing that, yeah, this was um, not done in a professional manner. And let's not Could pretend be. that Could this be. that this is not some old school people like me and you that basically understand the history of space travel. That and Mike, of course, Andrew. <laughs> that uh, that oh, and everybody listening yeah, <laughs> and all you people out there in TV land. <laughs> yes, one thing oh. we want to make I want to make sure I'm pretty sure everybody agrees that we are not against exploration of space and space travel. What scares me. You're against rich people. No, what scares me is basically <laughs> is the fact that you're they're presenting cons the concept incorrectly that they're disrupting space travel and they're devaluing without them realizing or consciously what an astronaut actually is. How important that component, the human I, component. I agree. I think that calling yourself an astronaut when all you've basically done is sit in a chair and take a ride is, you know horribly demeaning to people that actually had to train to learn how to do this stuff. Mm. Well, it's certainly a question, and I would, um, I, 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 now you got me curious, I'd like to find out what uh, NASA and trained astronauts think about this. I mean, on the one hand, I think that, you know, particularly since the shuttle program ended, and uh, the government has been beholden to private industry to be able to get to and from the International Space Station and to get um, supplies uh, to the International Space Station, uh, there would surely be a certain reluctance uh, to be too critical. But Bingo. I suspect, but what? But I suspect that uh, there would be an acknowledgement on the part of the government that I mean, because everybody understands that this is a high risk sort of endeavor, and. Um, Drew, I, I, I think you're onto something. Because it, it's not a question of if something is going to go wrong, but a question of when, when. and what. And whether or... Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that depends on the what. And you know, depending on what goes wrong, um, whether or not the people... I mean, and they did train for the mission. I mean, that much I can say. I don't know exactly what kind of training they had, but it's certainly not like... They just decided one day, hey, let's hop in this ship and, you know, and, and go, you know, I mean, there was, I mean, yes, they aren't professional astronauts, they aren't military people, uh, you know, it, but there was some sort of training involved is all I can say. I mean, and, and apparently it was extensive training, you know, so it, it lasted four months. That, that's extensive. An astronaut will be training for a mission for years. Two, yeah. Three oh, yeah. Years. No, I, yeah. No, I get mm. that. I mean, on top of the whole, well, the astronaut selection process, which was particularly arduous. You know, I mean, you had military people fighting <laughs> pilots, aces who were turned down. You know, well, I, I mean, mean, but also, you know, some of the best pilots that we had at the time were civilian pilots who weren't even considered. You should read you know? also about I mean, you know, and, and guys Yeager. like Chuck Yeager, exactly, yeah. who was you know, <laughs> held the record for breaking the speed of sound and was not considered because he didn't have a college degree. Well, I mean, you know? we're so. on the verge of replacing the right stuff with the rich stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear uh, Shatner 
is apparently going to be going to. Uh, oh yeah, you got it right. <laughs> I, I, apparently, Shatner is going to be going to yeah, space with, yeah. with uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, you know, we'll oh, see. The that would ego make of him. This guy's. Well, that would make him like the uh, the well. I was getting ready. <laughs> the oldest guy uh, to to go. Years old. Yeah. Yay. I mean, you know, assuming that uh, that this actually happens. I'm pretty sure it will mm. happen. Uh, isn't it funny that just the shape of the chip that Jeff Bezos has? <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Yeah, we've 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 talked about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the penis shift. Yes, yeah. we've talked about that. I mean, straight out of Flesh Gordon. Yeah. You know, of all things. So like he's trying to compensate for something. Whoa. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise he's, me he's got a bit. He's to compensate for anything, so. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Yeah. Anyway, look. That musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station. And among other things, that means that we're non-commercial. No billionaires running things here. And consequently, we need the support of our listeners for the continued operation of the radio station. Visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, ArlingtonMedia.org. Find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift in support of community media today. So we're going to pause briefly while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of our underwriters and sponsors. We're also going to promote some of the other fine WERA offerings that are coming up later tonight. But don't go anywhere because we've still got Star Trek (laughs) that we want to talk about. And uh, I guarantee you will not want to miss any of that. So stick around for more Fantastic Four. Programming on WERA is made possible by the support of our generous underwriters. If your business or organization would like to sponsor this or any other program on Radio Arlington, please visit WERA.FM slash underwriting for more information or call 703-524-2388. Thank you. Nostalgia ain't what it used to be. Never was, for that matter. It's that show that everyone's talking about. Paul McGee's Time Machine. Heard each Saturday night at 7.30, right here on WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. It's a look back through a window to the past. Each week we'll open the vault and play some real audio obscurities. Old radio dramas and comedies, music, news, and more, all stitched together on a timeline of local and national events of the day. Here are the personalities of the past, 7.30 Saturday nights on Paul McGee's Time Machine. 90 minutes of retro radio with a twist. 
Hello, this is Mary Cliff inviting you to be with us Saturday nights, 9 to midnight, for Traditions, a full-spectrum folk music show. We'll hear ballads, bluegrass, blues, ethnic, traditional, and topical music, and things you can see from there. And we'll hear about upcoming folk performances in our area. So be with us for old favorites, new releases, and lots of surprises. Traditions, Saturday nights, 9 to midnight on WERA 96.7 FM. And we're back here on the Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Drew Bittner and Mike Lunsford and Roberto Ortiz. And we've been talking about the successful return of the SpaceX Inspiration 4 last week with its all-amateur crew. And we sort of went down the rabbit hole on that. I had been saying at the opening of the show that I had sort of wanted to, because there was a real interesting story that uh, just came out yesterday, actually, about how Marvel has filed five lawsuits in an effort to block the heirs of comic book creators from claiming copyrights. And we'll actually talk about that on next week's program. I'm trying to line some stuff up because I always get real heavy, hot and heavy, into uh, all this creator's rights stuff and uh, and it's good stuff and sort of begs the question whether or not and this will be a question we ask next week uh you know despite the fact that these characters were created under these work for hire agreements whether or not uh, because of the astounding amount of money that has been generated in after the fact now uh, whether or not the creators themselves and the heirs uh, should be entitled to it, whether it's the right thing, whether it's a good thing to do. So we'll talk more about that next week. Don't miss it. But for right now, wanted to pivot back to Star Trek because September 8th marked 55 years, 55 years yep. since mm. the debut of this little television show on NBC TV created by Gene Roddenberry. Wagon Train to the Stars is how he sold it to the network because a lot of Western programs at the time, they didn't really understand what this space show was going to be. Space shows were Commander Cody and stuff like that and generally aimed at kids. Real cheap stuff. And then, in 1964, show debuted on ABC TV, produced by Irwin Allen. It was called Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And first time that you had a, a show, science fiction, action-adventure show that was aimed at an adult audience, wasn't an anthology, and uh, the success of that show led to others, including Star Trek. So, what I'd like to do is, uh, because certainly nobody foresaw that this thing was going to end up being as big as it was. And, you know, you had people, not the stars, not the guest stars. I mean, it was not the producers, not the crew, not the writers. Nobody thought that they would still be talking about this thing 55 years later and that it would have had the social and cultural impact that it has. And uh, I thought that we would start the discussion by just talking a little bit about um, why... Star Trek has been as 
has the longevity that it does. And Mike, we're going to start with you. I think that the reason why Star Trek has lasted as long as it has is it, it constantly reinvents itself. Mm-hmm. There was a time, and and I'm not going to give any opinion one way or the other because ultimately it doesn't matter. But like in the '60s, it was one thing. When it got brought back in the late '70s, it was another thing. It was referential to the '60s thing with the motion picture, but it evolved when those movies came out when you had Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3 and subsequently Star Trek 4 and 5 and 6 and then you got a new series the next generation and there were this there was the same spirit that same spirit of exploration of if we can put aside our petty differences here on earth between race and sex and color and all these other things we can do amazing things as a human entity we can do great things if we can come together and that continues to evolve. In the 60s, it was about race. It was about how ridiculous racism was, how ridiculous sexism was, and that evolved. And now we're seeing that with the newer series too, in the sense that we're seeing a massive push to show that the LGBTQ community is not only accepted, but celebrated. And that's something that, it, it's shocking to me when I see people say, oh, well, uh, <laughs> Star Trek's gotten too political. That blows my mind. They're like, why does it have to be political? Like, have you ever watched Star Trek? It's always been political. And that's what makes it relevant, is that it's willing to change itself to stay relevant with what's going on in the world. But not only that, it opens itself up to a whole new community, a whole new fan base. And it doesn't just have to be, oh, well, Star Trek, that's a grandpa thing. No, there's there's young people that are into this now. There's people that you never would have thought would have been Star Trek fans who are now into this series. And honestly, that's what I love the most about it, is that anybody can access this at any point, at any time, and, and love it in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drew, I, I'm sure you have something to add to that. Uh, sure. In fact, there's one point that Mike made that I think really deserves amplification, and it's that, um, you know, Star Trek and then Star Wars, you know, several years later, you know, ten years later, basically, were both born in times where our nation was in crisis, Mm -hmm. we were a population in distress, we thought things were falling apart, and both of these, uh, both of these, Star Trek and Star Wars, deliver a very powerful message of hope and inspiration. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it resonated with people. And as Mike said, it has always been political. Star Wars has always been, Star Star Trek has always been political. Star Wars, not so much. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. But Star Trek. But Star Trek has always been political, and Star Trek adopted the model that was then successful as well, which was used by Twilight Zone and other shows, which was every show is essentially a self-contained morality play, in one shape or another, and it addresses a topic of intense social interest in some respect and they never got away from that and the show's always had a strong moral message and inspirational message and political messages and people get up in arms about it because they're like oh no it's about gunboat diplomacy and you know oh it's about the you know shoot first and and going with phasers blasting and blah 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 it's like except that it's not and looking at only that aspect of it is very shallow and superficial but but there's people that, you know, as Lex Luthor said, can read War and Peace and think it's just a great adventure story. So. <laughs> mm, yeah, and read the back yeah. of a chewing gum wrapper and come away 
with the secrets of the universe. Indeed. Uh, Roberto, yes. <laughs> Turn to the nerds. Yes. So, uh, Roberto, why has this show been popular as long as it has? Because it inspires. Because it's in a cynical, 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 cynical world. It's the show that basically embraces the concept that hope is something to strive for and to look for and to work for. And it's funny because it, it reminds me also about the argument for a character like Superman. It's like hope is it's an act of defiance. And in the world we're living now, we need all the hope we can get. And one of the cool things that Star Trek does is that it offers hope. And even Incantation of Star Trek has had an element of hope and change and renewal. Um, the movies had their own matches specifically, for example, The Journey, James C. Kirk had to do after losing his son and basically being able to renew himself and be able to save the freaking King Klingon Empire if you see the whole story on how he was able to put away the, the wound he had about losing his son and being able to help the enemies of the Klingon. He was the biggest enemy of the Klingon Empire and he was able to save the freaking Klingon Empire. What a wonderful story of hope. That is an excellent point, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because that, that was what I was going to say in terms of uh, the not just the message of hope and uh, w the inspiring nature of it, but yeah. the way that Star Trek challenged people. Uh, it, well, intellectually, of course, because, and that was one of the genius moves of Roddenberry, the fact that he actually had science advisors and that the science that uh, Star Trek presented was actually plausible. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the things, though, in, in terms of the morality of it, like I remember, for example, on first season episode, um, the Galileo 7 where uh, uh, Spock and the others marooned on uh, Taurus II and threatened by hostile aliens. And yet, they, despite their superior technology, they didn't want to use that technology to exterminate these primitives, whether they were friendly or not. And Spock said something about that. He's like, we have a responsibility to other life forms you know, regardless of whether or not they want to do us harm. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I mean, similar type of thing on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. I remember it was the second episode with the crystalline entity. And, I mean, I can't say what I want either because I was sitting there. I remember uh, Picard, because uh, they were talking about um, it, it destroying it. That Dr. Kyla Marr, who had lost her son, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the first attack of the thing, you know, was like, oh, you know, we have to kill it. And he brought her into his already room, and he's like, we've already learned that our deflector shields will protect us. I'd like to try to communicate with it. I was like, you are a bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> it was like you, I mean, it, and, and another episode um, where, uh, and I can't think of the title of this, so this was the one... Um, uh, no, Darmok was the title of it, mm -hmm. and uh, you oh, know where, yeah, where yeah, at the yeah, mm. where at the conclusion though, uh, Picard is saying the Tamarian was willing to risk all of us just for the hope of communication. I mean, that's some high concept stuff. Yeah, there. Well, I not mean, only that hmm? too. How ahead of its time was it? As the majority of us can communicate with each other with just memes and emojis. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. You literally can tell a story without saying any word. Like you can share a, sh a, a a shared memory. Essentially, look at this meme. You know exactly what this means, and everybody knows exactly how you feel. Yeah, it it was way ahead of its time. Sure. I I, know, I would like to follow one thing that Drew said. 
that and, and actually Mike on how Star Trek has been able to reinvent itself each generation I know I sound like a broken record I'm well, gonna say well, well wait wait hold 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 for just a second, hold that thought, <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to get there. I mean, and you kind of got there ahead of me, because I had wanted to talk a little bit more about the initial incarnations yep. of Star Trek, uh, because 55 years in, I mean, you know, you, you get to a point where you can't just do the same old thing. I mean, the audience is so different. I mean, I, in fact, I'm second generation Star Trek, because I wasn't old enough to watch that on TV when it first came on. I mean, yeah. I do remember season three, you know, because mm. I was like three years old, you know, at the time. Well, excuse me, I was six years old. I mean, that was 1969. But, um, you know, I mean, and that was like 10 o'clock on Friday nights. I wasn't watching it every week, mm. you know. But I, I um, did when I was a kid. I used to watch the... You the watched the NBC. In, You're not in, even in, as old as me. You weren't alive when Star Trek Rico, was on. In Puerto Rico, they used to show Star Trek everything my point is exactly yeah look yeah. that was where I watched it too I yeah. mean my point is I was not watching the original NBC TV broadcast first run okay right I mean my sister was watching that you know and I mean I've, I've heard in fact she's cracking me up because my sister ain't even into this stuff she's like oh yeah we used to watch Star Trek we'd have like parties and we turned it on I was like oh get out you know but um where I was going with all of this is uh, the these characters and and one thing I want to mention in particular because uh, the morality of them and I keep going back to that because that was huge even though there were contradictions with that sometimes I remember yeah. in the episode <laughs> no but in the episode Friday's Child because uh, you know the uh, they go to Capella Four and they're trying to secure a mining treaty and when they get there uh, one of the well the the one red shirt guy they brought with them is killed right away you know and uh, but he's drawing a gun on the Klingon who he who is one of the Capellan's honored guests. And so there, at the, at the uh, exciting conclusion of the show, uh, Kirk and Spock are facing off against the Capellan's. Kirk turns Spock, he says, there's just one thing I want. And Spock says, the Klingon? Says, one of us must get him. Revenge, Captain? He looks at him, he's like, why not? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh! I mean, and as, as badass as that was, they now, the Klingon got killed, but it wasn't Kirk who did him in, or Spock. Yeah. You know, it was the Capellans themselves, which was very important. Now, fast forward to a season three episode, Plato's Stepchildren, mm -hmm. featured the first uh, interracial kiss on, on American television. But uh, at one point there at the end of that, here's uh, Alexander, uh, you know, who has a knife to Parman's throat, courtesy of Kirk and the fact that he's got psychokinetic power. And Kirk pulls him off the last second and par uh, Alexander turns. He's like, no, don't stop me. Let me finish him off. And Kurt looks at him, and the music stops and everything. And he's like, do you want to be like him? <laughs> and it's like, oh, damn. I, really, mean, I get the impression it, you really like this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, you it, 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 it asked you to look to your better nature, you know? I mean, and it told you that there were causes that were worth dying for. I mean, like I said, this was real high concept stuff. So you're and listening not, not, to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined by Mike Lunsford and Roberto Ortiz and Drew Bittner, who was just getting ready to say something. <laughs> Drew. Um... And, and all those are good points. And one thing that we don't want to lose in all this is the context in which that show yes. came to be. 
And this was an era where the United States and the Soviet Union had missiles trained on each other and were minutes away from any provocation possibly leading to, you know, war. We had just come through the Bay of Pigs with, you know, John F. Kennedy. We were on the way to building a a space presence and we were engaged in a space race at that time with the Soviet Union. And we were facing crises in our country as well. The Vietnam War was becoming more of a thing. Protests about that were ramping up. We weren't at the stage of having cities engulfed in riots yet, but we were going there. And so these problems were building and building on each other and everything looked like it was the end of our country. And, you know, I mean, here's a TV show that's saying, not only will we get to tomorrow, it'll be a better tomorrow than we have today. But one which, other is a, thing, which is a brave statement. But mm-hmm. then Roddenberry corrected that when he made Next Generation on the pilot, no less, of Next Generation, where he shows that the 21st century, in order for us to get to Utopia... Yeah, it got worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it got worse, yeah. yeah. But, but I still, I still want to... And this is the last thing I'm going to say about Plato's stepchildren, because, I mean, they're... they're and, and, you know, it, 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 okay, so... Alexander is, uh, you know, he's a little person. He doesn't have the psychokinetic power like everybody else on that planet. And, uh, you know, he asks Kirk, he's like, well, where you come from? Are there many people my size and who don't have the power? And Kirk is like, Alexander, where I come from, size, shape, or color doesn't matter. And nobody has the power. (laughs) I was like, I want to come where you, I want to be where you're from, Jim. Oh, man. You know, but, um, uh, and, and and here's the thing. Because, yes, Star Trek The Next Generation built on that and was kind of preachy sometimes. I mean, even though there's really? a really... Well, no. yeah, at all, we've evolved beyond it. I mean, and I understand that was a problem, uh, you know, for the writers and yeah. the other producers because, yeah. you know, Roddenberry kept wanting to eliminate conflict because he's like, no, we don't do that anymore. We don't do... You know, it's like... We, they're like, Gene, there's no conflict here, you know? But then Deep Space Nine... Yep. And that was a whole... end. But part of the reason that you set that... In like no, it's he had Starfleet, but they're on this other planet, and they're dealing with these hostile aliens, and you know they open it up for the some siege conflict. Of you know? eight, uh, oh my God, what's the name of the episode? The oh, Siege of AR five five eight. Yes, the famous speech that the court gave to Rom about the humans. Remember that? I do. I do, mm. and that was deep, you know, talking about they're great people as long as their bellies are full <laughs> and their holodecks are working, you know? It's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, but okay. But then you have Voyager, you know, which yeah. was, to me, the purest of the Star Trek shows in that that was most reflective of Roddenberry's original vision of what this thing was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, you had the female empowerment thing, there was a woman who was the captain, and this ship. This wasn't, I mean, unlike Star Trek The Next Generation was the flagship of the Federation. This was like just some grunt ship, but it was in a distant part of the galaxy, and they were out of regular communication with Starfleet Command, and they had only their principles and the rule book, you know, to guide them, and and how they made it through that stuff. And, of course, the Enterprise, but... Which brings us, <laughs> and we're almost out of time, but which brings us to all the new stuff. And the, the point that I want to make uh, before I, I open up you know, for you guys to, to you know, kind of make some final statements here is that these new Star Treks, I mean, because I've seen a little bit of Lower Decks, I've watched Picard, oh, okay. I've watched the first season of 
uh, uh, Discovery. Um, I've seen those Abrams movies. I don't recognize those. I'm like, you know what? We we'll allow that. You know that. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I also accept that maybe this new Star Trek isn't necessarily for me and for other people who came up. I mean, it, it's not that it doesn't resemble it, but. You know, we're, we do a lot of nitpicky type stuff in terms of, well, the stuff looks a lot better and, you know, that's not what the future looked like. And, you know, but you have to, you're, 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 you're reaching the sensibilities of a new audience. And even uh, Leonard Nimoy said, you know, hey, look, be receptive to where Star Trek wants to take you. What is, where does Star Trek want to take me now? Where does it want to show me? You know, and this is the purest nature of that. So, all right. Roberto, you've been trying to get something in. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you say what you were going to say. Each and every one of the new shows basically offers a a new way specifically to experience Star Trek. Discovery, basically, it's about challenging what Star Trek is supposed to be. It's about change. Lower Decks is a love letter to the whole franchise. And it's so well done that Michael Okuda is actually working on the show now. Saw that. Mm. And it's incredibly well written. And it's a love letter to what the Federation Starfleet is in terms of how they treat people, how they treat the... It's it's, it's very fascinating because we live in a, a very ironic and very cynical society. But Lower Decks shows that we will nurture you as an organization, Starfleet, and they will basically make sure you're developed to your full potential. And if you screw up, it's fine. And the show people think this is a joke is not. It's actually fantastically well written. Mm-hmm. Prodigy, which is the next show that is coming, it's the whole concept specifically of kids finding hope through the ideals of the Federation, being taught by freaking Janeway, no less. Being on a place in the galaxy that there's no Federation, there's no hope, and they're trying to basically find a future. I mean, what a wonderful message for kids. And that the principles of Star, of Star Trek, of the Federation, will help you m- make a change and make the world a, a way better. Yeah, I mean, and, the, and, they're, and they're all aliens. Yes. Too. The first time you've ever had a show where all the principal characters are non-humans. Wow. Yeah. You know? I mean, oh. you know, yeah. But, well, Drew, so uh, what about, I mean, and these are, you know, kind of last thoughts because we're almost out of time. Yeah, I think I think that that's exactly it. I mean, we're, we're, sign- we're finally at an age where Star Trek is sort of, has, has really fully come into its own. It's reached this cultural moment where all these different versions of Star Trek can exist and they're all Star Trek. Yes. Like Strange New Worlds is going to be a prequel to mm. the original series, and that looks like it's going to be great. Um, Prodigy and Lower Decks has been fantastic. It is a love letter to Star Trek as an entire thing, as this whole big Crazy. you know, en- enter- enterprise. To, <laughs> you know, not, to, not to pun too badly. I see what you did there. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, and it's it's saying that there's more places to go. There's more more new worlds to explore. Mm-hmm. So always will be. All right, uh, Mike. Like I had mentioned in the beginning, it, it's they're making it accessible to all. And I completely agree with what Drew and Roberto said that there's a there's a different version of it for everybody. And discovery, I. I, for me, the the old adage when it, when they talk about pizza, like even when it's bad, it's good. 
That's how I feel about Star Trek. <laughs> like even even the Abrams movies. Like I hate the second one. My God, Into Darkness is such garbage. Yeah. But like the first one and the third one, I really enjoy, and I watch periodically. I enjoy both of those movies. <clears throat> yes. It's with any of the Star Trek series, I can find some sort of enjoyment, and seeing the new things, I just love seeing franchises get a chance in other people's hands. Yes. I like when other people get to try to do their interpretations of it. And that's what we're seeing with Discovery. That's what we're going to see with Strange New Worlds. Lower Decks is hilarious. And mm-hmm. it is it, it is such a like like you said, a love letter to Star Trek. And it doesn't matter how into the series you are or how not into the series you are. You can watch Lower Decks and just enjoy the heck out of it. It's just a lot of fun. It's It's absolutely hilarious for anybody, even if you're not a Trek fan. But honestly, for me, it's exciting because it makes me feel like I'm like six years old and I'm watching Star Trek two and Star Trek three on the Betamax that was in our basement and just like being engrossed in this awesome world where there's these amazing things that we can do with science. And like every time I watch that, it's that it's like a it's like a security blanket. I feel safe watching Star Trek because it makes me feel like I'm a kid again. And these ideals still exist in a new way. Mm. And the attention mm-hmm. to detail is amazing, Yuli. There's people who actually go frame by frame saying, this is all the Easter eggs they're throwing. This is basically all the history they're showing you here. And it's like, it's not, nec- they don't, and they're doing it in a way that is not gatekeeping, which yeah. is amazing. No, they I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Oh. I mean, I've only seen the first episode of Lower Decks, but I was all set to not like this thing. Oh, and, and they're then deep in the second they, season now. <laughs> oh, the, the ending oh, yeah. of the first mm-hmm. season... Uh, it's amazing and the last there's a joke they did you know which one I'm talking about Mike on the last episode that people online are still talking about in terms of how hilarious it, it was and I cannot tell you what it is because it will be a horrible spoiler <laughs> yeah no it's 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 really yeah like it it's it's well done and and that, that that's more important too is there's nothing worse in the from the perspective of a fan when a big corporation, a big production company is like, I'm going to remake this thing. And you're like, oh my God, I hope whoever's writing this loves this thing. Because if they don't, this is going to be awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, the that's, people who are writing this these series, they all love Star Trek and you can tell. Oh, yes. And they, well, but, and they, they love it and they get it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and unlike uh, some of these things where something gets rebooted, you know, Star Trek never really went away. I mean, I remember in the early 70s, you'd go to these conventions and people were wearing pens that said, Star Trek lives, you know. And, you know, that, that sort of little period there between the cancellation of the show in 69 and uh, the ne- the animated series, even, in, 70, in 73, 74. Um, you know, and it, this would... Nobody knew what was going to happen with it. I mean, these conventions were uh, in their infancy. And there's a really funny story with James Doohan that I always think is just, you know, it just absolutely illustrates this. And he he went to these conventions, you know, he was like, well, another couple of years and it'll all be over. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, a few years later in the 80s, he's like, well, another couple of years, it'll all be over. And then, you know, I mean, shortly before his death, he's, he's at a convention, he's like, this is never going to end. You know? I mean, this is, and, you know, thank heavens that that's that's where we are with this. And, you know, it has come into the 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 custody of a, a whole nother generation. I mean, how many creators get to create something that outlives them and is so robust as this? You know, mm-hmm. you just you just don't see that. So yeah. anyway, but that is that is Star Trek. And that's also as much time as we have. 
For this episode, I'd like to thank my guest panelists and you too for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. You can get the skinny on that if you visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. It may be on in your area. Who knows? Check local listings. And, of course, Fantastic Forum is also available as a podcast on all those platforms where podcasts are available. Thanks to our friends at the, Gate Ge the Great Geek Refuge. I know what it's called. Good gracious. And we're so beholden to them and grateful that they have gotten us out there. And, of course, you can check us out on Thursdays here on WERA from 3 to 4. And be sure to come back next week. 4 o'clock, Saturday afternoon. Same bat time, same bat station. Have a great weekend, people. Historical Society, in collaboration with Arlington Independent Media and WERA, presents On This Day in Arlington History.